I think I'm way stronger than I was. I think I'm a lot more confident. I feel brave. I do, I am brave. I feel, I, I can embrace those things that you're always kind of like, no, no, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, or you're too, not humble, but like, absolutely not. But now I, I can, I take those huge adjectives of descri describing strong, powerful. I feel, you know, I feel that I am. I feel like I am much more than what I thought I was. Hi, I'm Catherine. I love hearing people's stories. I always have. In 2021, an idea came to me to talk to 10 people I didn't know about a meaningful day in their life. I posted the idea to my neighborhood's Facebook page and connected with 11 people who were willing to share. We met in one of our homes, and these are those conversations. For me, when I hear someone's personal experience, I understand them better. I feel connected to them through common ground or a common feeling. And I always and inevitably learn something from them that helps me in my own life. I don't know what you'll find in these conversations, but I hope it's something good. I'm so grateful all around to everyone who participated and now to you for listening. I truly hope you enjoy. Let's jump right in. Today's conversation is with Annette. Okay, great. Thank you so much for being here today. Can you please tell me your name and what you're here to talk about? Sure. My name is Annette and I am here to give you my, um, I guess, my experience, interpretation of what happened on, I guess, two instances where Ray had a near-death experience. Yes, right? Yeah. First, um, the first one where he was kind of was residually hit by lightning that got him in the hospital. And secondly, he had a sudden cardiac arrest. Okay, so if we could just jump back, how did you guys meet? How did we meet? Okay, so <laughs> we met, um, it was fate, as we always say. Uh, we met in Jacksonville, Florida, back in 1989. I was working for GE Electric um, Capital, and he was working for Pepsi, but I had just finished a job at Pepsi. I was kind of a contractor and I had left Pepsi so I still you know kept in touch with the folks there on our team and Ray happened to be their boss <laughs> and we went out to a happy hour and they said hey join us meet meet let's meet here for cocktails at Steve's birthday a mutual friend that reported to Ray he was the big boss and we all showed up at this place called Florida Cafe what's funny is when Ray tells his story and I tell you know, we both did the same thing. We were supposed to be somewhere else, but we kind of did a U-turn and went and met each other at Florida Cafe. So we definitely believe fate brought us together. And he was meeting some sorority sisters that his sister wanted, you know, of his sisters that she wanted to introduce to him. So, and then he thought, well, I'll take advantage and, you know, have a drink with Steve, you know, celebrate him, whatever. So when he walked in, we both you know, had immediate eye contact. It was just one of those things. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. It was funny. Like I wasn't supposed to meet him, but he showed up and, and then we just couldn't stop staring at each other. So definitely we know we were just meant to be together, you know, and it was a quick courtship. <laughs> we lasted maybe six months and he proposed and we've been married since. And we got married in 1990. Wow. So you were living in Florida at the time. I was. I was born and raised in Central America. I don't know if you know that. I'm half Costa Rican. I was born in Costa Rica, raised in Panama. A military, military brat. But I had moved to Jacksonville because I had a brother living there because I moved here when I was 21 to the States from Central America. And I landed there and just met, you know, Ray at a happy hour. <laughs> I picked him up at a bar. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, we were, were inseparable since. And then you got married? We got married. Was it a short engagement, long engagement? Very short, because we met, I think, it was August 30th of 1989, and we got married in November 3rd, 1990. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then, from what he said, six months later, after you got married... He yes. was doing the fundraiser for Marta Dimes, the walk. Correct. He was walking. And mm -hmm. what was that day like for you? Well, I was actually on my way to Miami, or on my way back from Miami. I don't remember. They were coming back, picking up my mom at the airport. Because back then, 
flights weren't coming directly from Panama, where my mom lived. So I picked her up at Miami International and I get this phone call and it's my sister-in-law and she's the net. <laughs> this is Sharon. I'm like, hey, Sharon, what's up? <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. And she said, I don't want you to be very upset, but Ray is in the hospital. He got hit by lightning. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, freaking like, ah! you know, so yeah, it was, it was so scary. And I, you know, I was young. I got married when I was 24. So, you know, I was, I just didn't, you know, that was like the most you know, closest, you know, tragic event or, you know what I mean? That I ever had. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be a widow before, you know, I'm not even married a year. I laugh now, but I was very upset. And, you know, my mom's like, oh my gosh, let's get to the hospital. So, yeah, let's. How far away were you from the hospital? Was um, it a long drive or a short drive? It was probably 45 minutes. So, yeah. And when I got, and you know, I'm so, I guess because of all the, since then I've been through a lot of PTSD situations. My father died of a cardiac arrest. I don't know if Ray told you that, walking on treadmill. So that was unexpected. And then my brother. So, you know, that I think that kind of does something to your memory because I have very, I mean, I can tell you I was very upset. I can tell you that I went and he was, you know, obviously he was all hooked up. They had done all kinds of tests with his heart. But I don't have a lot of recollection of exactly what happened that day. It's kind of in a, you know, I think we do that to protect ourselves. I don't know the whole psychosis behind it, but I can't remember a lot, which is very sad but uh, I just remember that he was fine and he was there for a few days I don't remember even how long maybe four or five I can tell you I had phone calls from the March of Dimes they were very very worried and did not want me to talk to the media and I wanted to pay all the medical bills because they were worried they should have called it off mm -hmm. or you know, put everybody in safety, and they didn't. They kept walking, <laughs> and you know how lightning is one of the major. I mean, it's Florida's known for it. So, yeah. So you were handling a lot. It's such a strange thing mm -hmm. to hear that someone was struck by lightning, especially mm -hmm. someone that you love. Yeah. Did that change how you thought about him, or the fact that he was still with you? I think so. I, I think that's where all my anxiety may have started because I suffer from anxiety. And that may have been one of the instances that triggered it because it's gotten just <laughs> worse since with all the different events. Um, but yeah, I think I had some sort of... It's no different than when he had his cardiac arrest. I was very, you know, I couldn't sleep. I was constantly checking on him. I think there's, you know, way... We didn't have phones like this or wait cameras or, or you know what I mean like to really check or share locations or things but yeah I'm sure I did I can't honestly tell you exactly but yes I'm sure I was, was it something that you guys would talk about and laugh about or once it kind of happened and you guys oh, sure. got back yes I mean he walked out I mean he's very fortunate I mean it was a residual hit so it hit a tree and then I think they said the tree and then him and lifted him off the ground and everyone that was walking with him, you know, told me, oh my gosh, you should have seen it. His hair stood up. He got lifted off the ground. He landed. And of course, his watch was on the date and time of, you know, that it happened. It stopped right then and there. So, and it was burnt in the back. So, <laughs> I know, it's wild. So yeah, if anything, I always have said that Ray is just so lucky. He's like a cat with nine lives. Um, I mean... There's been so many instances, and his family will say the same thing. Oh, yeah, Ray has had, a multi, you know, because he was a football player and multiple concussions, and, you know, he just bounces back, so. So you kind of had a little bit of an exciting start to your marriage, and then from the way that he shared with me, he kind of settled back into life, and you guys kind of settled back into life, and things yep. kept going. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, he wasn't, you know, we really don't know if there may have been some sort of a correlation with his being residually hit, because it did affect his heart and his arrhythmia. But we, we were never told, oh, you're going to have 
an issue, like he wasn't on meds, he was perfectly fine before he had the cardiac arrest. So you kind of live life and he worked his tail off and he had a very, very high pressure job and traveled. And so, yeah, we kind of just lived life, you know, things, you know how it is. So life continues and it mm -hmm. goes on. And then he had his sudden cardiac arrest. Yes. What? If you're willing to share, was that like for you? In the way that he shared, you were sitting in bed and, and he looked at you and he asked, you know, do you think I'll ever retire? So, yeah, I mean, it, what's, what's weird is the night before was my birthday. What's even stranger, and I don't know if he shared this with you, is I, I firmly believe God places, placed everybody at the right place at the right time during his whole event from beginning to end. Because I was supposed to be in San Antonio at a, on a girl's trip and I canceled it. So technically I wouldn't have been there had I been on that trip and I probably would have found him dead. So that's one key component of the story. I changed those plans and because I did, I was, um, I also had gone out to happy hour the night, the night of the event. And I had one margarita and they were so good. And I love margarita. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is so good. And they're like, oh, you should have another one. And I was like, no, I don't think so. I think I'll pass, which is really truly. I'm like, you know, I think back and I'm like, oh my gosh, had I had another one, I would have fallen asleep. I would have totally passed out. So those are little things that happen prior that make the story even more amazing. I mean, to me, when I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, A, I wouldn't have been here, you know? Um, B, had I had that other margarita, I wouldn't have been, I would have passed out totally because he will tell you I'm the first one to be out. And for a very long time after that, I wasn't able to do that. I would, you know, stay up, just make sure I would check, make sure he's breathing like you do with a baby, make sure he's okay. But yeah, but now I'm back to my old ways. <laughs> I pass out watching the show. But yeah, so that was really something, you know, I changed my plans and I, I passed on the second margarita to be able to do things. So I, what happened that night is I get home, I had texted him, hey, do you want to come out to Chewy's? Which is interesting because you always think of like, what if he would have changed his routine? What if he had joined us for the margaritas? So all these what ifs, right? But it all played out perfectly because I got home and, and I say that now <laughs> perfectly, perfectly for me to be able to perform and do what I had to do to keep him alive. So... Prior to that, the conversation was, man, I'm so tired. He looked terrible. The night before, he was complaining about his lower back. But, you know, that happens all the time. However, I've since learned major back, lower back pain is a red flag for cardiac arrest. So now, I, you know, I made a mental note of that. But he's always had lower back issues. So that night, he looked really tired when I got home. And on my way here, I was talking to a neighbor at the time and you know I was just telling her because this is another interesting fact I said you know I feel like the kids are you know we take for granted life we always take life for granted you know we haven't heard from the girls and Ray's so busy I go we got to be better I hope you know God forbid anything happen we, we need to, to remember you know family first you know we have to make time for family but we have you know and it's kind of like venting and talking all about the importance of family and staying connected and and because and I'll tell you in a little bit so that was interesting that I had that conversation and then I said hey come on over and take my, my mom lived with me at the time but she was in Costa Rica this is before we knew she had dementia by the way and she had a bike a stationary bike and I was like they wanted it and I said come by and get it so all these things are important because but let me back up. So he's saying, oh my gosh, I don't feel good. My back hurts. I think I'm just going to take a hot a bath and go to bed. But, you know, and he was like, I'm just tired. And I go, you look tired. And he goes, do you think I'll ever be able to retire? And I go, honey, yes, you will. One, your day is coming. You get to retire. So he takes his hot bath like anything. We get in our beds. We're looking at, you know, he's looking at Facebook, sending me messages and the show that I'm watching is called Rectify. So I don't know if you know about this story. It's kind of cool. It's, it's very interesting. It's about a guy who gets accused for a murder, a rape, terrible rape murder that he's not, 
he's actually innocent, but he got convicted for it. But he gets like, I don't remember why he got off. But he's on parole or something. And anyway, he gets beat up. And the last image I see, and this is another interesting fact, is that he's in a concussion, no, in a coma. And he's got all these, you know, wires sticking out of his head. And he's in the ICU because he was just beat to a pulp. And I'm watching the show and Ray, I'll look over. And I said, Ray, what are you doing? Quit being a pain in the butt because he was sending me a message. He had just sent me a message knowing that I'm really intently watching the show. And I look over and he's like, oh. and I'm like, oh, stop being an idiot because <laughs> he's a prankster. And then I look up and I'm like, oh my God, Ray. And then I jumped up and then adrenaline kicks in. I immediately knew there was something wrong. I thought he was choking. like, And he was just looking at me with his eyes wide open and like unable to breathe. And I just... I knew to get my phone and call my neighbor who had just picked up the stationary bike. Thank God they opened because it's 1045 and you know, I mean, not open, awake and, and answered the phone. So at 1045 PM, I'm calling them. I said, please come over, Ray's having our, and, and then I'm calling 911 at the same time. Please, my husband's having a car, had a car, a heart attack. That's what I'm thinking. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And then they're like, we're on our way. I don't know how I did this, two phones. And then they're telling me, then I put the phone down. They're like, hey, you know, and I had started doing CPR before I called them. And I'm like, I gotta call them. So they were walking me through it. And um, I just remember just, you know, doing CPR, pumping that his chest so hard. And then they said, throw him on the ground. I did, I hurt his shoulder. <laughs> Later we knew this, but you're just in survival mode. And then my neighbor came, I don't know how, I think the door was unlocked. They were in and she was helping me. He, so, and there are intricate parts of the story because one of them is directing traffic or the ambulance because we were so new here that they were going to the wrong house. So he's telling them, you're at the wrong house. And we had, you know, paramedics first came by, volunteers without paddles. So finally when they showed up, they were able to take over and yeah, thank God my neighbors were there, you know, one to help me because, you know, I would blow in his mouth even though they say today not to do that. I was doing that and then she started pumping. But the whole time we never stopped. And fortunately, I was able to do that. Then paramedics came by and he started. And then the ambulance came and with the paddles and, and then the, the rest is kind of like a blur for me because I completely lost it. But I kind of had control there for a while. So, yeah, and, and Libby, she has this weird connection with Ray. <laughs> They're very attached. Libby's she was dog. on the bed. Yes, Libby's my dog, and she would not leave the bed. And they were like, please, you know, they would tell my neighbor, can you get that dog out of there? Because, you know, they're trying. They couldn't get Ray to respond for, it took like three tries to get him. They zapped him three times. And then they called to see if they could up it. And finally they did, but they told me three times they couldn't get a pulse. So... And each time I'm like freaking out, you know, and calling family and, you know, just we're, we're just asking everybody to pray. And then they asked me, do you want to go to Vanderbilt or Williamson? I said Vanderbilt. And that's where they took him. First off, the fact that you were able to jump to. And I, I never thought I had that in me. Perform CPR and yeah. call the neighbor and mm -hmm. 911 at the same time. That yeah. is extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, thank you. It, I, I feel like it's kind of out of character for me because I'm the person like just immediately panics. But for whatever reason that night I had control and just thought of everything, you know, like to even include my neighbors. And thank God they were awake and answered the phone because they were like, they'll tell you, the, they're like, we never answer the phone. We ignore calls after 10. <laughs> but it was important that they came to get the bike. And it was important that we had a conversation. We went to happy hour together too. They were all, because we worked together. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like just all, everybody, like I said, everybody was at the right place at the right time for their roles that night, which is kind of interesting to me. So what do you remember from that time? And this is a small parenthetical question. 
Were you in your pajamas when you were in the ambulance? Oh, yes. So, and then you get there and it's late at night. What happened that night, if you remember? And then kind of what do you remember over the next several days? I know he was in the hospital for, or he yes. was in a coma for nine days. Yes. So, oh, I remember clearly as I was sitting there in, a, in the ER. So I had put on a sweatshirt. And I forget, I was maybe wearing some sweatpants, but I didn't have a bra on. So my girlfriend, my neighbor who helped me, and I call her my little guardian angel. She's like, girl, I'm going to go home to your house, and I'm going to get you stuff. I'm going to get you a bra. <laughs> I'm like, please do. Oh, my God. Because you were like, that's the last thing you're worried about. So they left me alone, and I just felt, oh, my gosh. I, was, I just kept praying in my head, like, Ray, you got to make it. You got to make it. You got to make it, you know just kept praying and I will, I'll never forget this the ER doctor came out and talked to me and he said we're gonna go ahead and put Ray we've scanned his brain we don't see anything but we're gonna go ahead and just as a precaution what they do is um, code blue they put them under you know um, it's called hypothermia where they reduce their body temperature I think to 60 or 40 degrees I'm not sure they make them very cold because that will regenerate rate organs if there's been any sort of um, so that's what they call that and he said we're going to go ahead and induce a coma and we're going to get a drop down you know explain the whole thing to me and then he said do you have a dnr and i go i don't know i don't know what to do i go you know because at the time we, ray and i <laughs> we had a will in florida and long story short we provided it for um, some financial stuff and they never gave it back to us. So we tried to call the attorney for a copy of it, whatever. Anyway, we never got it. So it was like, oh my God, I know Ray would not want to be a vegetable. You know, the, these are things that you're just asking yourself. So one of the biggest things take away from this whole experience, as soon as it happens, like we're getting a will and a living trust, you know, we're getting the whole thing done. You got to have your paperwork straight. I knew him well enough and I'd been married to him long enough to know that he would never want to be a vegetable, you know what I mean, like, or be on uh, support, life support for long. But, you know, like, how do you gauge how long, you know, like, I didn't want to make those decisions by myself. But that night they said, go ahead and do it, you know, the chances of him having another cardiac arrest are very probable right now because once you have one, you can have many. So they told me to do a DNR. So I had to do not resuscitate. DNR. So, and I was very, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing that. You know, I was struggling with that decision. So as I'm sitting there, what I was thinking was, I want Ray's family here. I need help making decisions. You know, I need support. I need the kids to see him. I want to see him. You know, I need to talk to him. And it's just an emotional, a wave of, you know, emotions. Um, because when I did see him, and this is where that movie comes in, he is wired and everything and looks exactly like this guy in that movie. Much more stuff around him, and you know, obviously, but it was just interesting that that was like the last image I had. It was almost like a dream, but not that night. But I could, I know that weeks later I put that movie back on and I was like, oh my God, that was so wild, you know? This, you know, this guy was in a coma and wired up like Ray, just so weird. And then I went back and I looked at the instant, you know, the message that he had sent me. And I have all the receipts of texts from that night. So it's kind of eerie, you know, but just scary. I cannot imagine what it must have been like. Because there was paperwork that you had to sign for a DNR, right? Just yeah, that absolutely. experience. And the, and so the other part of it, so all the girls come in and, and I guess you were asking too, like, well, how did I, do I remember? Oh yeah, I remember it well. I didn't ever want to leave his side, you know, bedside. So the ICU, by the way, in Vanderbilt were phenomenal. I mean, they broke every rule possible to let us all camp out because all the girls and I would be in that room from, you know, 24 hours not 24 hours, we would finally, I said, okay, look, we need to rotate, but I'm going to be here. So who wants to stay with me? You know, and they would take turns, all three of them. But every day was every time that, you know, any day that goes by, because once you, they get you out of this hyperthermic state, 
you have to, that's when, you know, like within 24, 48 hours, if that, if you're not awake from this coma, the chances of you waking up, you know, waking up are very, you know, slim. So every day it was just an emotional roller coaster, you know, because, you know, he wouldn't wake up because every morning the team would come by, you know, Vanderbilt being a, a university, they have their, the doctors, the residents, and then what did they call them? The, who's like the professor? What is that? You know oh, attending? About? Attending, yeah, but there's another know. name. But anyway, they had, you know, they would all come and they would, neurology would come, cardiology would come every morning and neurology, what they want is to see you tracking. And, you know, by day three, Ray's doing the whole, uh, like the eyes are going back. So that could be brain damage, you know, and it wasn't looking good and he wasn't, then we could, you know, feel some days we like, he squeezed my hand, he kicked. And then I was like, was that truly or was that just like a, a reflex? So it's just an emotional roller coaster. And we had a caring bridge site that we set up. So the girls were really great at keeping, I couldn't do it. I was like, that will be your task. <laughs> and they're really great writers and they would really, they relayed the whole story. And, and we still have that if you ever wanna you know, check it out. But we shared every day his status because we had so many people wanting to know. and praying for him and that was the best way to do it because I was getting hit with so many texts and I was like I can't do it and I don't want to be ungrateful <laughs> just can't respond to all of them but yeah it was just oh my gosh so many emotions because and so many decisions to make you know and what ifs and I'll never forget the first night I had, hadn't been home for probably four days and I finally I gave my number to the ICU nurse I'm like please any sort of Anything happens, please text me. I'll be here in 20 minutes. But I walked in the and I felt, you know, it would just hit me to walk into the house and think Ray would never be there again. And, you know, like he had died. You, you grieve. Like, that's all you do. It's like, because they're in a coma. They're pretty much dead, you know? And I was like, I'll never see him again. So I had my whole, you go through all the stages of grief, you know? So... Yeah, very scary. Wow. <laughs> wow. What support really helped you through that time? Did you have, I know the girls were there, mm -hmm. women, daughters, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> friends. Were you a part of a faith community? Did you reach out to? Unfortunately, no. We don't belong to a church here. That was one of the things we kind of were exploring. But I think my faith alone, you know, I don't feel, I'm kind of like on, on the fence with organized religion, period. I'm, I'm a Catholic, but, <laughs> and Ray's a, <laughs> Ray's a Methodist. We got married in the Presbyterian Church. I'm kind of one of those people, just very spiritual. And, you know, obviously I believe in, in God and Jesus Christ and all these things, but I just don't have, I can't, I don't know. So I just had my faith. I had my support really was family you know during my downtime just you know I would pray but of course social media helped to read some of those people just encouraging you and you know just saying beautiful things about Ray we also asked them to call and leave messages so that we would pray for him so that was really cool they would call me and leave messages to him and just we would play those back to him and he, you know, just, we played his favorite music. We kept, you know, we wanted him alive in that room. You know what I mean? Like try anything that was connected to him. So people would come and talk to him, phone calls, recordings, music, laughter. The, the one thing I did not allow. And I finally said to everyone because there was bickering, you know, three daughters and it could be a little negative or a lot of crying. I was like, we don't want any of that here out. You know, let's just keep this as a happy place. You know, we just want it upbeat. We need to be positive. And I truly believe that once I started thinking that way, too, not just prayer, but believing he would wake up is what helped. I really do. You know, I don't know if you've read The Secret, that famous book about, um, it's all about mind over matter and positive thinking and how, you know, that will just 
that's what I kept thinking, like he's going to wake up. And I kept repeating that in my head along with prayer, you know. So would you say that was firmly in the belief side of things or was it more still hope or was it kind of back and forth? It was back and forth for sure. But I think what I switched was once I started feeling more positive and feeling like, you know, believing what you're saying, you know, affirmation, like he's going to wake up and he's going to be okay is what I kept saying. And we all did that. I feel that just made a switch. And then boom, you know, I don't know how Ifray told you he had a seizure, which we all thought that's it. He's going to have a seizure. That's going to really make him brain dead. And the doctor said, we thought for sure that seizure was it. Was it. They were going to do a trach the day, that next day. So the night before my sister and I prayed the rosary and I kept whispering in his ear, you're going to be okay. And I kept talking to him and just, we all did this. Um, and I kept talking to him like he was alive. And I just said, you need to wake up. We, you know, I need you to be okay. We have so many things, you know, I kept telling him the plans we had in our future, you know, you have to meet your grandchildren, you know, all, you know, the things you just say to someone, but believing it, I, that I swear is the key component. And my sister-in-law was the one that kept being positive and teaching me that and coaching me to be that way. And I think once I switched it, I, I was more confident. I felt more like, you know what? He's going to make it. Like I felt more. And the nurses, of course, would tell me, I've seen people walk out of here. I've seen people walk out of here after this. But, you know, you would have the Debbie Doubters to tell you, doesn't look good. He's not tracking. You know, you'd have those. But I refused to hear the negativity. So once I had that mindset, I really do think that helped. But, yeah, they, you know, because we had meetings and they would be like, you do, you need to prepare yourself. You know, what, are, what, what is the plan here? And I kept, we kept going to that meeting. I don't believe it. You don't know this man. Where there's a way, there's a way. So we made t-shirts. We started this whole campaign. Where there's a way, there's a way. Because that's what he told me our whole marriage. Where there's a way, there's a way. He was always very positive. I kept telling him that. I'm like, remember? You, you know. So anyway, all that to say that we once you kind of like switch that. Where if you're Catholic, you know how somber it is. Like we wear black and we're just very, you know, like you don't have a party when someone dies. I mean, at least that's how it was with me growing up where I felt more like, I don't know, it was kind of like liberating to be able to, to feel that way and not feel any guilt. Like, but it's hard to explain. Like I, I kept it positive and upbeat. seems like that settled in for you. Mm -hmm. It's also really something because the days are going by, right? Mm -hmm. And with every single day, there's less of a chance, but yeah. from what you're sharing, it sounds like Something just settled in you that, nope, it's definitely going to happen. And mm -hmm. that became stronger. Well, at least that's what we were all saying to each other. We've never lost hope, yes. And to answer your question, we didn't lose hope. The night before, if anything, I was very unsettled about having the trait because that would make it very real that, you know, now he's got to be on life support. He's going to have to be, you know. And then how long, that was my struggle, how long am I going to keep him on you know, mm -hmm. like what is the, the norm? Like, is there a certain protocol for this? Like, what do you, you know, it's all on me. And I'm like freaking out. I told his sister, I'm like, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. But I don't even want that to happen. I kept crying. I was very upset. And I was like, he's got to wake up. He's got to wake up. I just can't, you know. So my sister and I prayed the rosary and at... I don't know what time that night, I want to say 1045, he kind of woke up and he looked and I go, I swear he just tracked and his, you know, and I, he squeezed my hand and then his sister came and I go, Karen, come here. And she was like, Ray. And he was looking at her and he started communicating, you know, as best as he could and nodding his head and, you know, his eyes were open. I'm like, Oh my God. And then I felt him and he was feeling more, you know, like alive and you know i'm just crying and we have the whole video of that because we were just shocked and then i'm texting the girls and they came at as soon as you know they woke up they as soon as they woke up 
they got in the car and the routine was they'd stop at Dunkin' Donuts right there in Vanderbilt, pick up coffee for everybody and show up. And they heard, so his favorite song is Don't Stop Believing. And they kept hearing that every time they would go to, like there were these little, what we call little whispers or little glimmers of hope that would be reminders of Ray or whatever. And you know, like the nurses that would come in from neurology, she was from FSU, he's a big seminal. All these, and then another person would come from, like, so it was just interesting how it all just, you know. <laughs> when, after he woke up, did you kind of feel like you could take a breath that like, okay, he's going to be okay? I don't know all of the medical details, but I feel like it can still be probably a touch and go situation when someone comes out of a coma. Yeah. Do you remember when it was like, okay, he is, he's okay? Oh yeah. Well, I think, so of course I was still on, on edge when he woke up because like I told you, the chance of him having another one are very, you know, probable. So they said, and hi, they, they said, absolutely. You, you're, the chances are just higher that you're going to get one, have another one. So until he had the defibrillator put in, which will zap him, you know, if it, and then it's also a pacemaker. So it will, if his heartbeat gets too low, you know, pace him or it'll zap him if it stops. I felt much better after that, which that happened probably two days after he was awake. Okay. So it was pretty quick. I felt better, but oh my gosh, girl, it took mm, probably years <laughs> for me to feel, yeah, very, <laughs> it's a major, major, major anxiety. And it's PTSD, you know, when you go through something like that. Well, it makes sense. You almost lost your husband who you oh, yeah. clearly love so much. And then mm -hmm. you sat in that very real possibility for exactly. all of those days. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, we're so fortunate to have that second chance and you go through when, when someone dies, the first thing you go through is, is guilt. You, you think about things. I mean, at least for me, my Catholic upbringing again, I mean, not to bash Catholic, please anyone hears this I totally respect it but you know we are instilled a lot of guilt growing up <laughs> so I felt you know just like oh what could I've done better you know you start thinking you know you just beat yourself up so and and I've done that with everyone that I've lost very close to me my father my brother it's just kind of normal human behavior to go through that I think it's just one of the ways you deal with death because it's so permanent and there's always something you wish you would have done differently or could have done better. So all that was going through my head, you know, but yeah, it just, it took me a very long time to leave him alone. If he didn't answer the phone, I would freak out. I mean, just kind of crazy. I mean, I've had neighbors, I mean, to the point where perfect example, two years ago, my mom's living here or because I started working from home last year and I worked in Cool Springs and if he didn't answer the phone and then I have this camera, I would turn it on and look. I don't see him here and my mom's sitting in that chair and she's leaning over and I'm like, oh my God, my mom is dead and where is Ray? You know, like things like that. <laughs> and then I can't find him and he's not answering. I'm like, oh my God, Ray had another, you know what I mean? So. I hit and I have so many dear friends at work that would kind of walk me off the ledge like a net. Reel it in. <laughs> He's going to be okay. It was so funny. My friend at work, when that one happened, I showed her the video and we would zoom in. I'm like, does my mom look like she's dead? And she's like, girl, no, she's fine. She's fine. I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, let me call my neighbor. My neighbor's home. Thank God. My I don't know many neighbors like I told you and she's home and I'm like what are you doing home she goes well I'm home I'm not feeling well I'm like do me a favor will you check on Ray and make sure he's okay <laughs> so she comes over here and of course Ray had napped his phone was off or you know something and then I so those there's lots of stories like that I just have terrible anxiety <laughs> unfortunately I can't take SSRIs or anything for it I'm allergic to meds mm. so it's just all coping and it's really hard. But anyway, to that story about my mom. So I hang up and I tell her, my, my girlfriend, like, well, Ray's okay and mom's okay. And she goes, girl, I really thought your mom was dead. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but I didn't want to tell you. But oh my God, girl, I thought for sure she was dead. I'm like, you idiot. That's funny. <laughs> so yeah, that's one of the many stories of my anxiety where I've just, you know, you go from, oh my gosh, <laughs> just like height, it just escalates. But I'm way better, way better. It's just taken me a few years and lots of therapy. <laughs> well, I have a few questions about that. So it sounds like, obviously, the anxiety has been something that you've been facing. Mm -hmm. How else have you changed from going through that with Ray? Mm. Did it change what you wanted for yourself or what you guys wanted for, what you wanted for your life together? So I think in a normal situation, it probably would have more, but I have a tendency of, because I, I know I mentioned to you, my mom lived with us. She came back from Costa Rica and then she left while Ray was recovering for a year and then she came back. And then my focus went from Ray to my mom. So I didn't have a lot of time to really focus on me or my marriage, which is really sad. Um, so until now, really, my, we moved my mom into memory care because remember I told you she lived here for two years. And then prior to that, she lived with us for a year and then she, I mean, she does a lot, so much moving. So yeah, I've been having to take care of her. So I don't, but you know, there are, of course, you know, I always take care of him. You know, you just always know it's in the back of your mind. Like you don't ever forget this. And of course there's days where he doesn't feel very well, which I'm, reminds me of it. So for a long time, my struggle was, oh my gosh, mom needs me, Ray needs, like, you know, you just wanted to, what do I do? So I think if my mom had not been in the picture or if she was normal, you know, or, you know, healthy, but that was my next distraction, I guess, or priority because no one else was taking care of her. I had to. So it kind of shifted to her, which was very unfair to Ray. But don't get me wrong, I took care of him too. But I think what it, what it changes you is, and I had to really shift this, was he became more of like my child than my husband. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like you are now, whereas he was always, you know, not, not, and trust me, this is not a marriage where it's a 50-50 marriage, you know, we both work, we both do chores. It's never been, oh, I'm the, I take care of the home and you take care, you're the breadwinner. You know, it's always been very shared, our responsibilities. But then it kind of shifted where I became the caregiver. And he was kind of like my patient, not my child, but, you know, someone that I just took care of. So we had to kind of work on that. And we have. But, yeah, I mean, because then I became my whole role and purpose was just, being a caregiver so one of the things I learned about that is that you know you got to take care of yourself and that you know the whole saying if you don't take care of yourself you're not going to be able to take care of anyone else of course it goes in here and out the other ear and you just continue and you just go through the motions because these people need you and you just become like this like everyone's mom <laughs> kind of not in and I don't know if it's the mom, but you know, the, the caregiver, mm -hmm. I mean, there's no other word for it. I am a caregiver and that's what my, my identity was for a long time. So that kind of was exhausting. <laughs> so we finally, mom, you know, as hard as it was, I moved her into memory care this year and we're kind of just kind of working on ourselves and our marriage because you kind of forget that whole, you don't forget, don't get me wrong, you know, we're, we're still partners and we love each other dearly and we're husband and wife, but you, you have to make each other a priority. You will lose that in any relationship, right? It's just kind of what happens. <laughs> but I think what kind of pushed ours to go that route more was the fact that, you know, there was a recovery period for him. It totally changed our life and then here comes my mom, someone else that needs me to, so it's You've had hard. a lot, you've had a lot, one thing after another. If, yeah. if I can ask, and mm -hmm. only if you're comfortable sharing, you mentioned that you 
were in therapy for some of the anxiety. Did mm -hmm. you start that after things happened with Ray? Did something kind of make you say, hey, I actually need to go talk to someone about this? So, yeah, I mean, and, and when I say lots of therapy, um, it's, it was probably a year of therapy, not right after Ray, because, again, you go back to work full time. I took FMLA for about six weeks, and then it was work, come home, and, you know, it, I lived with a lot of anxiety for a lot of, you know, years. And then it was my mom, right? So I finally did it last year. I was like, I need, you know, with everything with COVID and because I was living in such fear because, you know, again, now I've got to protect my two loved ones. You know, they were both high risk and we didn't know, right? So all this and the media, finally I did therapy and I turned off the TV <laughs> and I was able to cope. But yeah, a lot came out in, in therapy. So this isn't the first time I do that. I have a tendency of being a fixer. So when my dad died, I had to take care of my mom. When my brother died, I took care of my mom and dad. So I'm kind of like that person. Mm -hmm. So I actually took time off last year for myself to get intense therapy. And I tried to go on meds and kind of do some self-care. That's when I found out that I couldn't do the meds. They gave me reactions. So, but yeah, that it took me a long time to do it to finally realize, you know, I need to take care of myself. I've gained a lot of weight. You know, you kind of just put yourself in the back burner. You know, you don't have any interest. I mean, and this is totally separate from Ray, but when you live with, I mean, it is and it isn't. When you live with someone with dementia, and then with someone that doesn't feel well sometimes, it's very depressing, you know, to be in that environment. So it was really as much as it killed me because my mom kind of became my child taking care of her. It was hard to put her, you know, because again, the guilt of putting her in a home and having others take care of her, you know, the saying, no one takes care of your, of your loved ones as good as you do. It's so true. That was hard. But at the same time, I know it's a much healthier environment for us, you know, not to have dementia in your home all day. You know, it's very hard. That is very hard. So one question that I asked for Ray, and I'm kind of curious on your take, was, you know, he's, he's survived two very extraordinary events. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? Do you think he's here for a very clear reason? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I do. I, I wish he believed it more. I, I know he says it, but I feel, and, and I think we're both that I think when there's so much negativity in the world in general and other things in life, you know, loved ones that need you and, you know, it's hard to focus on those things, but absolutely we will sit there and think, oh my gosh, you're here for a reason. Do you know how lucky you are? I mean, I constantly remind him of that. But Ray remembers only what we tell him. You know what I mean? Like, thank God he doesn't remember anything. Thank God in a way, but also I wish he would, you know, like you ask him, did you have, did you see the light? Did you see anything? You know, like these other people that have these near death experiences. But I think for him, it's more surreal. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that. You know, like we're watching a movie and just yesterday and there's a part where, you know, they're doing CPR and I'm like, oh my God, that was me. You know, I lived it. He's heard about it again. Like I told you, until you live something like that for him, he was the victim of it, but he doesn't have a lot of recollection about it. The walking he does for sure. The, the, but the cardiac arrest, he doesn't, you know, the March of Dimes, he does the, the. But yes, we, we definitely feel he's here for a reason. I think sometimes you wonder what that reason is, but I think overall for his kids, I mean, he saw his daughter graduate from FSU where he went to school and he, you know, he, we literally took him, he was out of the hospital, I think 30 days. And I was like, can I, can we, can he get on a plane? You know, with my anxiety, I'm like, oh my God, what if his heart stops and the up in the air and you know this is what you think and I was like or should I map it out where I drive and there's hospitals that I can take him should you know because this is how you live you know and they're like you can fly 
you're gonna be okay. <laughs> so he got to see his daughter graduate. He got to see his other daughter have a baby. He's helped me tremendously with, you know, my mom. I mean, his support through that has been amazing. His support in general, he's my partner, my cheerleader, my, you know, he's been, I don't, you know, I definitely <laughs> was not ready to let him go, but also he does not realize the impact he's made on people in people's lives. And that's one of the things that, you know, people don't get to hear when people die, people say these wonderful things and you're like, oh my God, you, you of course don't get to hear that because you're gone. But he had the ability and he was so blessed to be able to read all the positive, beautiful stories people had to say about him. You know, coworkers, guys that he had mentored and coached, you know, during his career. I'm a president for this Fortune 50 company today because of you and your leadership, you know, that kind of stuff. It's really cool that he's able to hear all that. He's very humble and doesn't realize the impact he has on people. So it's kind of like randomly he would always get calls or emails from people like, hey, Ray, it's so-and-so. Remember, you, we worked together at such-and-such, and, such and I never forget what you taught me about this, that, and the other. And so that's kind of cool, you know, that he got to, to read all those messages. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, I tell him with his spare time he should be, you know, I would love for him, like you said it yourself, he has a great, powerful voice. He's very dynamic. He always had that charisma. Very good public speaker. I'm like, you should share your story with people. You should, you know, but you can say that. And, and like he did with you, of course, but and not, and like a larger scale, right? Like go talk to people like, you know, and spiritually he's, we're both kind of the same with that. So I tell him his love was sports. He was a quarterback. He could have probably been in the pros either as a pitcher or, and I don't know if he shared that with you, but he was, you know, an incredible quarterback football player. He got hurt at Baylor and then he went to FSU and he got hurt again. So he kind of messed up his knee, but he would make us a great coach. And so I said, you should at least maybe be a mentor, you know, for kids or do something with that. You're here for a reason. So, and he knows it too, but he just, you know, sometimes we're just kind of lost. And I think, like I said, there's things that have happened that have overshadowed, kind of forced us to kind of take our focus. My daughter got married this year too. That was great and fun, but you know, we had that to work, to deal with COVID, my mom, you know, just a lot of changes. You've had a lot going on. Yeah. I just have... Okay. Two more questions, but mm -hmm. you've had a lot of hard. You've had a lot of hard, but the way I see it, he's here for a reason. Oh, yeah. But I also think mm -hmm. you went through all of that for a reason. Oh, so for sure. What do you think the gifts are that you've gotten from having gone through that? Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> um... Gosh, I wish I could say patience. <laughs> no. What are the gifts? I, well, I don't know. I think, I guess just having the experience of a lot of tragic, you know, almost losing someone, I think it just makes you realize, you know, the importance of life, of connections, of people, of humanity. I think it just, you know, teaches you, the, you know, that saying, we take it for granted. We say it very loosely. Oh, life is short. Do this really is I think in I do think I I think some things are a blessing some things are I tend to overthink now a lot <laughs> decisions have become a little more difficult but I think I'm more I think I'm way stronger than I was I think I'm a lot more confident I feel brave I do I am brave I feel I, I can embrace those things that you're always kind of like no, no, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, or you're too, not humble, but like, absolutely not. But now I, I can, I take those huge adjectives of descri describing strong, powerful. I feel, you know, I feel that I am. I feel like I am much more than what I thought I was. Does that make sense? I've always been kind of insecure 
I didn't finish college. That's been a huge play in my life where Ray was always the main breadwinner. You know, he was the main, but I always worked, but I always had jobs where like, I consider them, you know, oh, you know, like an administrative assistant or, you know, you don't take a lot of pride in that work and, and you always feel like you're not enough. But I'm like, damn, I'm pretty, I'm pretty damn incredible. You know, you do say that sometimes like I did this, this and that, and not to be, you know, arrogant about it, but it kind of just kind of sets you back and go, you know what? There's more to life than having the alphabet soup behind your name. There's more to life and defining people than, and I get emotional because I think that was one of the biggest things was feeling more empowered as a human. I don't need to be a doctor or a nurse or, you know what I mean? Like, a director, a senior director, a VP to save someone's life or to take care of people and to make big decisions or to to carry on in this world, you know? You just gotta, so it kind of gave me a little bit more confidence. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so funny. I'm so, so grateful for that. Oh. I, that's extraordinary yeah. to hear. I love that so much. Oh, well, um, thank you. Right. What would you tell other people who are in a care giving position. Mm. Is there anything that you would just share that you really learned that would have been helpful to you on the other side of it when you, you know, before you went through that? Oh gosh. I mean, I think, and everyone says it, you know, you got to don't lose sight of your own self. I mean, because that is elective and, and when you're normal, <laughs> you can, you do have a say in that. So kind of remember, again, it all goes back to, because I do reflect on that a lot. I'm like, oh my God, what have I really done for me? I've done a lot for others, but what have I really done to make me happy and whole? I've, like I said, all those things are great and wonderful to feel stronger and more powerful and like, wow, that's really cool. You know that I've been able to help my husband and my my mom as their caregiver, but you you gotta not forget who you are and your interests and take more me time and put yourself first because you get lost in it. Patience is so important, empathy, all those things, but you got to take care of yourself. And I have not. I, I will be completely honest. I haven't. <laughs> I'm way better now than I was before of this year, but I haven't for several years. And it'll wear you out. You gotta do it for your mental health. It's been challenging, you know, not just to have that scare with Ray, but to take care of my mom and be responsible for so much, because it's a lot of responsibility. And you kind of lose interest. And you know, it's, it's all depression, and you know, so I think in, in my case, if I wasn't doing it, no one else would. So it wasn't like a choice. But what I've learned from it is there's a balance in everything, right? And that's and like everything in parenting and work. There's a work-life balance. And we just kind of shift the scales get kind of <laughs> with my mom. I should have made more time for my husband and I and for myself didn't so that was my what I really recommend and, and what people need to learn from it is to please you know take care of themselves don't give up their their dreams or you know their hobbies or you know make time for it I didn't so that's definitely what I would change and what, what, what I recommend is if you're gonna take on this responsibility don't lose some people don't have a choice and it, maybe it's monetary you know because it's so expensive that's a whole other topic if you want me to go to talk and share with you about t t dementia and caregiving and the world we live in with, with healthcare and it's such a broken system right now with COVID and everything. You know, these assisted living places, I've seen it. It's a whole other discussion, <laughs> but we need help. And there is such a thing as caregiver burnout. Absolutely, I had it. It's, such, it's a thing. And... Yeah, I just wish we had more of a, I mean, we have, we have to have a better plan <laughs> because 
Medicare is not enough. Social Security is not enough. I mean, thank God my mom has the VA income that she has from my dad, but not everybody, you know, was a veteran. And where do you get, I don't know, it's like these, it's just such a, they're so expensive and for what you get from them, you know? So, yeah. A whole other conversation. <laughs> well, last question. Sorry. I take that back. Last two questions. One, <laughs> what, what brings you joy? What, what hobby do you enjoy? Oh my gosh. Can be a short um, answer. I love decorating. Um, You're always I'm, beautiful. I'm, oh, thank you. I mean, thank you. No, I just, that, that is my thing. I love that. I used to read. I'm not, I'm trying to pick that up again. But really, that's, I, I love anything to do with fashion, home decor. I wish I was a DIYer. I, but I'm not. <laughs> I wish I had the patience for that. But I love watching it. I, there, there's so many um, talented people out there. So yeah, that, those are my interests. I used to love to travel, but you know, that's kind of, and not just before COVID, you know, Ray can't really do that, but we did a lot of traveling before. So I'm very grateful we had those years and we got to travel. But, you know, I'm Hispanic and I embrace that. I love being able to speak Spanish. So I watch a lot of Spanish <laughs> movies on Netflix, but yeah, that's, those are my little hobbies, nothing major. What is one thing you truly love about yourself? Oh, I have to say, I love my sense of humor. Yep. <laughs> You're like, okay. No, I do. I, I can make light of any situation. I can make, I, I love making people laugh. I love making people feel good about themselves. I, I, that's what I love. I love making a funny here and there. I have to. If I didn't have my sense of humor, girl, I would not be here today. It has really helped me through my life. Yeah, I've always, I was like the class clown and that kind of thing. I just like making people laugh and my wit. That's the best thing I think I have. And, and my, I, I do know, I, like I just said, I think I'm a very compassionate person and I think we need more of that in this world today. Um, more so than ever. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I think that's, those are my, my things, my, my gifts, I guess. Yeah. I think I, I like to make people feel good and make them, you know, when I'd say, Oh, I really love your, it's not a sales pitch or trying to gain something. It's, I genuinely like to make people feel good. And I'm going to tell you, right. I'm sincere. So I think that's what I, what my best qualities are. I love that. Let's but enough that about me. What do you think of it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I had to say that. <laughs> thank you so much, Annette. We're going to wrap it here, but thank you so much. <laughs> After Annette and I finished our conversation, we continued talking while I was packing up to leave. I hadn't turned off my backup microphone yet when she started sharing about an important moment to her, which, as you'll hear, she told me she wished she had included during our main conversation. Since I have it, I offer it here. Please keep in mind the audio quality isn't the same as the main conversation. The other thing I guess I didn't tell you too, the doctor told me you, and, and that was a major component, and I, I was getting there and I got sidetracked because I do have ADHD too. <laughs> My, the doctor sat there and told me, he goes, do you know how many women run or can't, or become paralyzed and can't do anything? You saved your husband's life. I wish I would have shared that with you, but um, on there, because he looked at me and that was like a very defining moment for me because I was like, I did, didn't I? He goes, because statistically he started telling me how many women or people can't do anything in a situation like that most of them run outside screaming for help. They don't react, you know, cognitively. They're just so, you know, in the moment, freaking out. Um, I said, you need to give yourself some credit. You saved your husband's life, and I need you to understand that right now. And this is doctor, there were two doctors. One was pushing the DNR, and this is the one, I I was just like, you're like my little angel. I always said there were like little angels that presented themselves during this thing. And he was like, 
you need to give yourself some credit. Don't, because you know, you kind of go, I, I don't know if I did enough. I don't think I did. You know, I was crying. I'm very upset. I'm going to go, do you think he's going to die? Do you think, you know, that's how you, you're reacting. And he's like, oh my God, you are so brave. Do you know what you did? You saved your, your husband's here because of you. And that was huge. And I was like, oh my God, he is here because of me, <laughs> you know? And then I started thinking like, I had that other margarita he wouldn't be here had I gone to, you know you start thinking about everything so yeah that was a huge moment and the and I think one of the most important so when Ray was waking up when Ray woke up I ran down there and I looked for him and I said my husband's alive he made it and he's like that's wonderful you know like I wanted to tell him you know and I go thank you so much for your words of encouragement you know that really made me feel so much better you you gave me some some hope and if anything, I, he made me feel so much better that night because I felt like I hadn't done enough. And he goes, are you kidding me? So that was huge. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't share that on your podcast. <laughs> Let's just do it again. <laughs> Thank you. Just, I'm so oh grateful. So oh, grateful. Thanks for listening. Feel free to leave a comment about this conversation. Maybe what you're taking with you from it. Make sure to check out the other conversations if you haven't already too. You can also send me a message if you have a story to share. I'd love to hear it. I'll be working on a new series soon and you could be a part of it. Sending good your way. Until next time, take good care.